You are listening to Wealth Wisdom. On this podcast, you will hear from a wide range of thinkers as they discuss what it takes to be prosperous in business, finance, and more. To see a full listing of the podcast provided by Learn Out Loud, please visit us at www.learnoutloud.com slash podcast. Acres of Diamonds In the late 19th and early 20th century, Russell Conwell delivered his Acres of Diamonds speech thousands of times throughout the world. This is the most recent and complete form of the lecture. It happened to be delivered in Philadelphia, Dr. Cronwell's home city. When he says right here in Philadelphia, he means the home city, town, or village of every reader of this book, just as he would use the name of it if delivering the lecture there, instead of doing it through the pages which follow. When going down the Tigris and Euphrates rivers many years ago with a party of English travelers, I found myself under the direction of an old Arab guide whom we hired up in Baghdad, and I have often thought how that guide resembled our barbers in certain mental characteristics. He thought that it was not only his duty to guide us down those rivers and do what he was being paid for doing, but also to entertain us with stories curious and weird, ancient and modern, strange and familiar. Many of them I have forgotten, and I'm glad I have. But there is one I shall never forget. The old guide was leading my camel by its halter along the banks of those ancient rivers, and he told me story after story until I grew weary of his storytelling and ceased to listen. I have never been irritated with that guide when he lost his temper as I ceased listening, but I remember that he took off his Turkish cap and swung it in a circle to get my attention. I could see it through the corner of my eye but I determined not to look straight at him for fear he would tell another story. But although I'm not a woman, I did finally look, and as soon as I did, he went right into another story. He said, I will tell you a story now which I reserve for my particular friends. When he emphasized the word particular friends, I listened, and I have ever been glad I did. The old guide told me that there once lived a man not far from the river Indus in ancient Persia by the name of Ali Hafed. He said that Ali Hafed owned a very large farm, that he had orchids, grain fields, and gardens, that he had money at interest and was a wealthy and contented man. He was contented because he was wealthy, and wealthy because he was contented. One day there visited the old Persian farmer, one of these ancient Buddhist priests, one of the wise men of the East. He sat down by the fire and told the old farmer how this world of ours was made. He said that this world was once a mere bank of fog, and that the Almighty thrust his finger into the bank of fog, and that the Almighty thrust his finger into this bank of fog, and began slowly to move his finger around, increasing the speed until at last he whirled this bank of fog into a solid ball of fire. Then it went rolling through the universe, burning its way through other banks of fog, and condensed the moisture without until it fell in floods of rain upon its hot surface and cooled the outward crust. Then the internal fires, bursting outward through the crust, threw up the mountains and hills, the valleys, the plains and prairies of this wonderful world of ours. If this internal molten mass came bursting out and cooled very quickly, it became granite. Less quickly, copper. Less quickly, silver. Less quickly, gold. And after gold, diamonds were made. Said the old priest, A diamond is a congealed drop of sunlight. Now that is literally scientifically true, that a diamond is an actual deposit of carbon from the sun. The old priest told Ali Hafed that if he had one diamond the size of his thumb, he could purchase the county. And if he had a mine of diamonds, 
he could place his children upon thrones through the influence of their great wealth. Ali Hafed heard all about diamonds, how much they were worth, and went to his bed that night a poor man. He had not lost anything, but he was poor because he was discontented, and discontented because he feared he was poor. He said, I want a mine of diamonds, and he lay awake all night. Early in the morning he sought out the priest. I know, by experience, that a priest is very cross when awakened early in the morning. And when he shook the old priest out of his dreams, Ali Hafed said to him, Will you tell me where I can find diamonds? Diamonds? What do you want with diamonds? Why, I wish to be immensely rich. Well, then go along and find them. That is all you have to do. Go and find them. And then you have them. But I do not know where to go. Well, if you find a river that runs through white sands between high mountains, in those white sands you will always find diamonds. I don't believe there is such a river. Oh, yes, there are plenty of them. All you have to do is go and find them, and then you have them. So he sold his farm, collected his money, left his family in charge of a neighbor, and away he went in search of diamonds. He began his search very properly to my mind, at the mountains of the moon. Afterwards he came around into Palestine, then wandered on into Europe. And at last, when his money was all spent, and he was in rags, wretchedness, and poverty, he stood on the shore of that bay at Barcelona, in Spain, where a great tidal wave came rolling in between the pillars of Hercules, and the poor, afflicted, suffering, dying man could not resist the awful temptation to cast himself into that incoming tide and he sank beneath its foaming crest, never to rise in this life again. When that guide told me that awfully sad story, he stopped the camel I was riding on and went back to fix the baggage that was coming off another camel, and I had an opportunity to muse over his story while he was gone. I remember saying to myself, why did he reserve that story for his particular friends? There seemed to be no beginning, no middle, no end, nothing to it. I had but one chapter of that story, and the hero was dead. When the guide came back and took up the halter of my camel, he went right ahead with the story, into the second chapter, just as though there had been no break. The man who purchased Ali Hafid's farm one day led his camel into the garden to drink, and as that camel put its nose into the shallow water of that garden brook, Ali Hafid's successor noticed a curious flash of light from the white sands of the stream. He pulled out a black stone having an eye of light reflecting all the hues of the rainbow. He took the pebble into the house and put it on the mantle which covers the central fires and forgot all about it. A few days later, the same old priest came to visit Ali Hafed's successor, and the moment he opened that drawing-room door, he saw the flash of light on the mantle, and he rushed up to it and shouted, Here is a diamond. Has Ali Hafed returned? Oh, no. Ali Hafed has not returned, and that is not a diamond. That is nothing but a stone we found right out here in our own garden. But, said the priest, I tell you, I know a diamond when I see it. I know positively this is a diamond. Then together they rushed out into that old garden and stirred up the white sands with their fingers, and lo, there came up other, more beautiful and valuable gems than the first. Thus, said the guide to me and friends, it is historically true, was discovered the diamond mines of Golconda the most magnificent diamond mine in all the history of mankind, excelling the Kimberley itself, the Kohinoor, and the Olaf of the crown jewels of England and Russia, the largest on earth.
came from that mine. When that old Arab guy told me the second chapter of his story, he then took off his Turkish cap and swung it around in the air again to get my attention to the moral. Those Arab guides have morals to their stories, although they are not always moral. As he swung his hat, he said to me, Had Ali Hafed remained at home and dug in his own cellar, or underneath his own wheat fields, or in his own garden, instead of wretchedness, starvation, and death by suicide in a strange land, he would have had acres of diamonds. For every acre of that old farm, yes, every shovelful afterwards revealed gems, which since have decorated the crowns of monarchs. When he had added the moral to his story, I saw why he reserved it for his particular friends. But I did not tell him I could see it. It was that mean old Arab's way of getting around a thing like a lawyer. To say indirectly, what he did not dare say directly, that, in his private opinion, there was a certain young man then traveling down the Tigris River that might better be at home in America. I did not tell him I could see that, but I told him his story reminded me of one, and I told it to him quick and I think I will tell it to you. I told him of a man out in California in 1847 who owned a ranch. He heard they had discovered gold in Southern California, and so with a passion for gold he sold his ranch to Colonel Sutter, and away he went, never to come back. Colonel Sutter put a mill upon a stream that ran through that ranch, and one day his little girl brought some wet sand from the raceway into their home and sifted it through her fingers before the fire. And in that falling sand, a visitor saw the first shining scales of real gold that were ever discovered in California. The man who had owned that ranch wanted gold, and he could have secured it for the mere taking. Indeed, thirty-eight millions of dollars have been taken out of a very few acres since then. About eight years ago, I delivered this lecture in a city that stands on that farm, and they told me that a one-third owner for years and years had been getting $120 in gold every 15 minutes, sleeping or waking, without taxation. You and I would enjoy an income like that if we didn't have to pay an income tax. But a better illustration, really, than that occurred here in our own Pennsylvania. If there is anything I enjoy above another on the platform... It is to get one of those German audiences in Pennsylvania before me and fire that at them, and I enjoy it tonight. There was a man living in Pennsylvania, not unlike some Pennsylvanias you have seen, who owned a farm, and he did with that farm just what I should do with a farm if I owned one in Pennsylvania. <laughs> he sold it. But before he sold it, he decided to secure employment collecting coal oil for his cousin, who was in the business in Canada where they first discovered oil on this continent. They dipped it from the running streams at that early time. So this Pennsylvania farmer wrote to his cousin asking for employment. You see, friends, this farmer was not altogether a foolish man. No, he was not. He did not leave his farm until he had something else to do. Of all the simpletons the stars shine on, I don't know of a worse one than the man who leaves one job before he's got another. That has a special reference to my profession and has no reference whatever to a man seeking a divorce. When he wrote to his cousin for employment, his cousin replied, I cannot engage you because you know nothing about the oil business. Well, then the old farmer said, I will know, and with most commendable zeal, characteristics of the students of Temple University, he set himself at the study of the whole subject. He began away back at the second day of God's creation when this world was covered thick and deep with that rich vegetation which since has turned into the primitive beds of coal. He studied the subject until he found that the drainings really of those rich beds of coal furnished the coal oil that was worth pumping, and then he found how it came up with the living springs. He studied until he knew what it looked like, smelled like, tasted like, and how to refine it. Now, said he in his letter to his cousin, 
I understand the oil business. His cousin answered, All right, come on. So he sold his farm, according to the county record, for $833. Even money. No sense. He had scarcely gone from that place before the man who purchased the spot went out to arrange for the watering of the cattle. He found the previous owner had gone out years before and put a plank across the brook, edgewise into the surface of the water just a few inches. The purpose of that plank, at that sharp angle across the brook, was to throw over to the other bank a dreadful-looking scum through which the cattle would not put their noses. But with that plank there, to throw it all over to one side, the cattle would drink below, and thus that man who had gone to Canada had been himself damming back for twenty-three years a flood of coal oil, which the state geologists of Pennsylvania declared to us ten years later was even then worth a hundred millions of dollars to our state. And four years ago, also, our geologists declared the discovery to be worth to our state a thousand millions of dollars. The man who owned that territory on which the city of Titusville now stands, and those Pleasantville valleys, had studied the subject from the second day of God's creation clear down to the present time. He studied it until he knew all about it, and yet he is said to have sold the whole of it for $833, and again I say, no sense. But I need another illustration. I found it in Massachusetts, and I'm sorry I did because that is the state I came from. This young man in Massachusetts furnishes just another phase of my thought. He went to Yale College and studied mines and mining, and became such an adept as a mining engineer that he was employed by the authorities of the university to train students who were behind their classes. During his senior year, he earned $15 a week for doing that work. When he graduated, they raised his pay from $15 to $45 a week and offered him a professorship. And as soon as they did, he went right home to his mother. If they had raised that boy's pay from $15 to $15.60, he would have stayed and been proud of the place. But when they put it up to $45 in one leap, he said, Mother, I won't work for $45 a week. The idea of a man with a brain like mine working for $45 a week. Let's go out to California and stake out gold mines and silver mines and be immensely rich, said his mother. Now, Charlie... It is just as well to be happy as to be rich. Yes, said Charlie, but it is just as well to be rich and happy too. And they were both right about it. As he was an only son and she a widow, of course he had his way. They always do. They sold out in Massachusetts and instead of going to California, they went to Wisconsin, where he went into the employ of the Superior Copper Mining Company at $15 a week again but with the proviso in his contract that he should have an interest in any mines he should discover for that company. I don't believe he ever discovered a mine. And if I am looking in the face of any stockholder of that copper company, you wish he had discovered something or other. I have friends who are not here because they could not afford a ticket, who did have stock in that company at the time this young man was employed there. This young man went out there, and I have not heard a word from him. I don't know what became of him and I don't know whether he found any mines or not, but I don't believe he ever did. But I do know the other end of the line. He had scarcely gotten out of the old homestead before the succeeding owner went out to dig potatoes. The potatoes were already growing in the ground when he bought the farm, and as the old farmer was bringing in a basket of potatoes, it hugged very tight between the ends of the stone fence. You know, in Massachusetts, our farms are nearly all stone wall. There you are obliged to be very economical of front gateways in order to have some place to put the stone. When that basket hugged so tight, he set it down on the ground and then dragged on one side and pulled on the other side. And as he was dragging that basket through, 
This farmer noticed in the upper and outer corner of that stone wall, right next to the gate, a block of native silver, eight inches square. That professor of mines, mining and mineralogy, who knew so much about the subject that he would not work for forty-five dollars a week, when he sold that homestead in Massachusetts, sat right on that silver to make the bargain. He was born on that homestead, was brought up there, and had gone back and forth rubbing the stone with his sleeve until it reflected his countenance and seemed to say, "Here is a hundred thousand dollars, right down here, just for the taking." But he would not take it. It was in a home in Newburyport, Massachusetts, and there was no silver there. All the way off. Well, <laughs> I don't know where, but somewhere else. And he was a professor of mineralogy. My friends, that mistake is very universally made, and why should we even smile at him? I often wonder what has become of him. I do not know at all, but I will tell you what I guess as a Yankee. I guess that he sits out there by his fireside tonight with his friends gathered around him, and he is saying to them something like this: "Do you know that man Conwell who lives in Philadelphia? Oh yes, I've heard of him. Do you know that man Jones that lives in Philadelphia?" Yes, I've heard of him too. Then he begins to laugh and shake his sides and says to his friends, "Well, they have just done the same thing I did, precisely." And that spoils the whole joke. For you and I have done the same thing he did, and while we sit here and laugh at him, he has a better right to sit out there and laugh at us. I know I have made the same mistakes, but of course that does not make any difference because we do not expect the same man to preach and practice too. As I come here tonight and look around this audience, I am seeing again what, through these fifty years, I have continually seen: men that are making precisely the same mistake. I often wish I could see the younger people, and would that the academy had been filled tonight with our high school scholars and our grammar school scholars, that I could have them to talk to. While I would have preferred such an audience as that, because they are most susceptible, as they have not grown up into their prejudices as we have. They have not gotten into any custom that they cannot break. They have not met with any failures as we have. And while I could perhaps do such an audience as that more good than I can do grown-up people, yet I will do the best I can with the material I have. I say to you that you have acres of diamonds in Philadelphia, right where you now live. Oh, but you will say you cannot know much about your city if you think there are any acres of diamonds here. I was greatly interested in that account in the newspaper of the young man who found that diamond in North Carolina. It was one of the purest diamonds that have ever been discovered, and it has several predecessors near the same locality. I went to a distinguished professor of mineralogy and asked him where he thought those diamonds came from. The professor secured the map of the geological formations of our continent and traced it. He said it went either through the underlying carboniferous strata adapted for such production, westward through Ohio and the Mississippi, or in more probability came eastward through Virginia and up the shore of the Atlantic Ocean. It is a fact that the diamonds were there, for they have been discovered and sold, and that they were carried down there during the drift period. Now, who can say but some person going down with his drill in Philadelphia will find some trace of a diamond mine yet down here? Oh, friends, you cannot say that you are not over one of the greatest diamond mines in the world. For such a diamond as that only comes from the most profitable mines that are found on earth. But it serves simply to illustrate my thought, which I emphasize by saying: if you do not have the actual diamond mines literally, you have all that they would be good for to you. 
because now that the Queen of England has given the greatest compliment ever conferred upon American women for her attire, because she did not appear with any jewels at all at the late reception in England, it has almost done away with the use of diamonds anyhow. All you would care for would be the few you would wear if you wished to be modest, and the rest you would sell for money.